Hi everyone, welcome to the next episode of Under the Tree with Tea. I hope that you've been well and safe wherever you are in the world. As I'm recording this, I'm in Melbourne and we're still in lockdown. We should have another one to two weeks before we're out of lockdown, so fingers crossed. Having said that though, although 2020 has been a difficult year for all of us globally, in terms of the pandemic and lockdowns, I think overall for myself, there have been so many positives that have come out of this year as well. One of them, of course, is recording this podcast and having that opportunity to really connect with you and tell you some raw, real stories. So today I'm going to be talking about a topic that is so close to my heart and this is about the experience that I've had as a black woman in the Australian fitness industry. And to be clear, I'm not recording this episode as a way of being non-inclusive to other people of color or other ethnicities in Australia. I think that it's really important that younger black females are able to come back to my story at whatever time that they want to and be able to hear my experiences as well, to be inspired and to be encouraged. This may also inspire black male trainers as well. And I think that if black male trainers also have partners, wives, daughters, friends who want to be in the fitness industry and they are black women, this is something that can be passed on and make an impact on generations to come. So I'm going to start at the beginning as to how I decided to become a fitness trainer. So as many of you may know, I actually qualified as a lawyer in the UK. So I lived in the UK from 1997 because I did my last two years of high school there in a boarding school. And I then went on to study law at Birmingham University. Having completed my law degree, I then did the legal practice course in Birmingham. Then I got a job as a solicitor in Wolverhampton. I then went on to study a master's in law at Wolverhampton University. So you can see I had extensive legal training. And you must be wondering, wow, with all this legal training that you had, why did you decide to be a fitness trainer? I think where I can start to explain in inverted commas, because I think it's something that might, you know, some that some people might never understand, and that's okay. 
and I got to understand that that's okay as well. But the first place that I can start is that when I decided to study law, it was a mix of reasons. The first reason was that I wanted to be a pilot. And when my father asked me, what do you want to do when you finish, when you finish high school? Because I was getting close to finishing high school. I said to him, I want to be a pilot. And I really want to go and do the studies. And he said to me, you can't do that because you are going to be married at some point and you can't just be leaving your husband and going off to fly a plane. What woman does that? And yes, I understand that that is very, uh, very old fashioned type of thinking. But that's where my dad was. So I just give him respect for, you know, that's where he was and that's that's what he knew. And he was paying for my studies. So I didn't have a huge say in what I was, where I was going to study and what I was going to study. Or so I thought at the time because I was still very young. So having decided that, okay, I can't do my pilot training, I said to him, well, maybe I can work in hotel management or something like that. And he said, no, I don't think you're suited to that. So my dad had always wanted to be a lawyer. He just wasn't able to study law because the time that he grew up in Zimbabwe, black people couldn't go to university. It was just very restricted. So he ended up becoming a teacher. But of course, over the years, he worked his his way up and became ambassador, which was, you know, a lot of hard work and dedication on his part. So the reason why I decided on law was a mix of not being able to do what I really wanted to do, which was the pilot training, and then a cultural societal expectation that I felt. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't said to me verbally. It wasn't said to me overtly. But there was those subtle expectations of if you're a lawyer, a doctor, a dentist, then you've made it. So I thought, hmm, I think the thing that I can pick is being a lawyer. And then coupled with that as well was the fact that I did want approval from my dad. I realized as I've gone through the years, getting now to age 40, and I think this is going to be an episode, another episode, um, I realized that I really wanted approval A lot of the things that I did growing up were to seek approval from my father, to seek approval from my parents. And at that time, I really did believe that if I became a lawyer and I was successful, my dad would be so proud of me and that would make me happy and the life would be great, I'd be rich, and that would be the end of my story, right? So I decided to pick law and that's how I entered the law field. So as I was studying law, I didn't find it very riveting, as you might suspect. I found it very boring. There were parts of it that I enjoyed. I enjoyed the writing, 
I enjoyed researching and analyzing to some extent. But most of the time, if I'm really honest with myself and with you who's listening, is that I was so bored. I almost feel like I was in some sort of a fog in all those years. It was like I was a clock, you know, the insides of a clock just chugging along, chug, 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 and going with the routine, going with what was expected, going to lectures, doing my exams, excelling at my exams, but never really feeling lit up inside. I just felt so dull. I would say almost dead. And I continued in that way for years, you know. I finished my my first degree, went on to do my legal practice course, and I just began to accept that that was life. Yes, I was doing a role that had a lot of reading. It was tough, and that was just life. I accepted it at that point. So when I got to working in a law firm in Wolverhampton, I started work and I did mainly criminal law cases. I did a lot of property law cases as well. So whilst the criminal law side of things was interesting, it was also very confronting for me. So for example, I would work with in domestic violence cases, not where I was supporting the victim, but supporting the perpetrator. And that was really tough. That was really tough. And I would struggle. Even when I got home, I would just feel like there was this massive weight on me. And I couldn't really reconcile um, supporting people who had done terrible things. And helping them to go free. That was a struggle for me. And I realized that it's different according to who is doing it. I have friends now in law who absolutely love what they do and that's fantastic. I think the key here is to understand that from a personal perspective, remembering that this is my opinion, these are my thoughts on the issue, our work is most of our life. Most of our life we are at work. And I began to think, if I'm going to be doing this for the rest of my life, and this is the majority of my life, my working life, can I really continue to be so dead inside? Is this living? Is this really life? And do I have to continue to live my life like this? So around about that time, I also decided to dip my fingers in family law. I decided to dip my fingers in immigration law just to see whether if I changed the type of law that I did, I would feel any better. I would feel more passionate or excited. But every time I tried, it was the same feeling. Around about that time as well, that's when I started to think about moving to Australia. I started hearing a lot of people talking about the opportunities that were in Australia, 
that it was still a relatively new, in inverted commas, country, and that there were so many opportunities. So my partner and I, my partner at the time, decided to start preparing to move to Australia. And we did that. It took a couple of years to save up money, get everything organized, the visas, understand what we were going to do. And I left the UK in March of 2008. And yes, started my exciting life in Australia. So having come to Australia, what I actually did was I came as a student. So I transferred my British law degree to an Australian law degree. And I was studying at James Cook University in Cairns in Queensland. So that's north of Australia. It was so beautiful up in Cairns, sunny every day. The weather was just fantastic. So it was like paradise having come from Birmingham, UK, where it was rainy and cold most days. It was just heaven. And you know, when I got to Cairns and started studying law at James Cook, I thought, you know, maybe this is a different location. It's sunny. Maybe law here will be different. Maybe I'll enjoy law in Australia. So I kept on the law path. And as I was working as a student, I was also doing what's called legal editing. So as a legal editor, I worked for a publishing house in Queensland. And what I was doing was editing statutes or new laws that were coming out that judges were producing and editing those for the statute books that law students and other people within the law field would then be reading. So I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed the editing part of things because I loved writing. I had such a passion for writing. And I think that's one of the things that kept me going in law because there was a lot of writing. And you can see how, you know, even now in my work, I write a lot of books as well. I've already published five books that are available on Amazon. Which are related to health and fitness. So after I finished my degree at James Cook, I continued doing the legal editing. I was very fortunate because the publishing house decided to offer me employment after my degree. So I worked for them part-time and I was also managing an independent music store which was in Cairns. So I would manage the music store full-time and then part-time I was doing the legal editing. And I did that for a good year whilst I was in Cairns thinking about whether I actually wanted to go into law. I was still applying for law jobs but to be honest with you, I didn't feel excited when I'd send out applications. I would almost wish that I didn't get the job. And already that was a sign that something was off, right? Something was very off. So during this time that I was working for the music store, 
and then also doing my legal editing. That's the same time that I was scouted as a model by a talent scout called Henry Peterson and I started my modeling journey in Cairns. In that very first year that I began modeling, which was 2009, I achieved quite a lot of things in the modeling field. So for example, I entered Naomi Campbell's global model search and I was in the top 100 out of 10,000 entries. And that was a massive thing for me, a massive achievement to be in the top 100 and be named as such after so many entries. So I really began to see my potential. In the modeling field. So in 2009, I also separated from my partner that I had moved to Australia with from the UK. We'd been together for eight years. Unfortunately, that relationship broke down. And then I started thinking about moving to a bigger city because Cairns is only a small city. And for the dreams that I had, I just thought, I don't know if I can do as much in this smaller place. And that's when I began to think of moving to Melbourne. So I moved to Melbourne in 2010. Unfortunately, the time that I moved to Melbourne was the same time that my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer for the third time. And by that time, the cancer had spread everywhere. So I moved to Melbourne and as soon as I just dropped my bags where I was staying with my cousins, I had to fly to Zimbabwe to be with my mom. So that began my journey in Melbourne, so to speak. So there was quite a lot of, there were quite a lot of traumatic things that were happening at that time. And I put those in because those are part of my story and part of where I get my resilience from. So when I came back to Melbourne, having been in Zimbabwe, I decided that I wasn't sure whether I wanted to do law. And I think that's when I decided that having faced my mom going through what she did with her cancer and just realizing how short life life is, I thought, I don't really have to do law and I don't think I'm going to apply for law jobs. I'm going to follow my creative path and I'm going to see what happen, happens. And that was a massive decision for me. And when I made that decision and started voicing it, there were a lot of concerned looks and thoughts and um, yeah, it was tough. You know, a lot of people didn't understand, particularly my family. My dad was very upset. I remember when I had visited my mom, I had told her that my path was changing and I wasn't going to be doing law. You know, I said it very lightly. I didn't 
go into detail with her because of what she was going through and I didn't feel like I needed to go any deeper with that but I knew then that I was just I couldn't do law anymore and it was just time for me to pick a different path it was going to be tough but I was ready to do it I mean I had faced so much already like what did I have to lose <laughs> you know so that was my mindset I've been through so much already what else do I have to lose if I can face losing my mom and go through it go through the tough part of that what else can break me so I started my creative journey with that thought in mind So I started working in customer service for Bupa which is a health insurance company here in Australia. So I was working full time in Bupa and that's when I started thinking about going into fitness as a career. So to understand my journey with fitness, I'd always loved fitness from when I was a young girl. I played a lot of sports in school. And when I got to the end of high school, I considered being a personal trainer. But I just thought, I don't know. I don't think I can do that. I don't think it's for me. I don't think I'll make a lot of money from it and uh oh, I'll just, you know, and I just shelved it. But it was always something that was in the back of my mind. As I went through uni, I was always into my fitness, always reading up on fitness. Um, I'm someone who, you know, there were very few black people at the university at that time, and I was one of the few black women who would go to the gym. You know, when I'd go to the gym, it would be mainly men. The African men would be there, but mainly men. And it was something that in 2002, 2003, it was rare for me to see a lot of black women at the gym fast forward to this time in melbourne where i'm working at bupa i decided that i was going to research fitness courses and find out more about a career in fitness and i decided to do it with 100% commitment And that's how my fitness journey started. So having done my research and also visited the colleges that I was thinking of going to, I settled on a college called What You Need Fitness, Win Fitness, which was operating at the time. from a gym called Fitness First in Melbourne City. So I decided to enroll in evening classes so that I could continue doing my full-time job and then in the evening I could go and study for my personal trainer certification. So I started on part-time evening classes. So I was going two times a week. So once in the evening and then on saturday i would go for the whole day where we would do 
practical training as well. So when I started studying at Wynn, I was the only black student in the class. The class had approximately 25 students and I was the only black female. So there was one other female in the class and she was white Australian. So I absolutely loved studying at Wynn. The quality of the education, the lecturers, the facilities were all excellent. If I can talk about one thing that relates to myself as a black female student at that time was that as I began to research to see if there were other successful black women trainers, I couldn't find any. I couldn't find any that were doing the amazing sort of work that Michelle Bridges was doing. All I had to go by, within Australia that is, were people like Michelle Bridges, uh, Kayla Icenis, if that's how you pronounce her surname, excuse me if I haven't pronounced it correctly, I-T-S-I-N-E-S, were doing fantastic work. So I followed them because that's what I knew then. I couldn't source any inspirational stories of Africans in Australia that had built big businesses based on fitness. So in terms of black female trainers that were outside of Australia, oh, there were plenty. So I used to follow people like Jeanette Jenkins, who's based in the US. And there were, of course, a lot of other black female trainers in the US and in South Africa that I could look up to. But I'm talking about Australia. And I think that's one of the important things in me documenting the story, because I really hope that a younger black female in Australia will be able to dig this podcast up, this episode up, and be able to listen to some of my story. So one of the things that I absolutely loved about learning at Wynn was that the lecturers always encouraged us to research what we would do with our businesses after we finished the course. And they referred to our careers as exactly that, businesses. They really drummed it into us that we were not just going out there to be a trainer in a gym or a trainer training people outdoors, but that we were going to build a business. And I think that really was a seed that helped me to then look further down at my career as a business. You know, I wasn't going to be doing a job. I was going to build a business. So with that in mind, I started doing the research as to how I could build a business from this course that I was doing. And bearing in mind that I was still going full time, working at Bupa, and then evenings doing my studies, um, doing my readings, doing all the course homework that came with doing the personal training course as well. So my biggest piece of advice to a younger 
female trainer, black female trainer in the Australian industry is that as you do your studies, look for those people who you aspire to be like. So for myself then, it was people like Michelle Bridges, Kayla Aitsinis, Katrina Ruth as well. And those women had built a business out of starting as a personal trainer, having their training as the core fundamental. So at that time, I saw myself as planting a fitness tree. You know, there are many parts to a tree and a tree takes time to grow. So the roots were, you know, the physical health and well-being of my clients. And then as the tree was to grow, I envisioned it then branching out and growing into things like the books, my podcast that I'm recording now, Fitness Leaf as the clothing line, a whole range of aspects that come to my business. I even envisioned myself being on TV one day. So I really saw this as planting a seed, planting the beginning of a tree that was to grow with time and effort. And that changed the whole perspective of how I approached my business because I always had that end goal in mind. And in looking at the businesses that these Australian women had built, I really saw how a fitness business could have longevity, how it could have sustainability, if I looked at it as a tree. And the key thing is to realize that we are all unique. There's only one of me, there's only one of you. So in planting your tree, understand that you're planting your tree and it can be authentic and unique to you. But the thing is, you don't have to put yourself in a box. You do not have to put yourself in a box. And you know, people would say to me, well, you're going to be just just a personal trainer. How are you going to make an income from that? How are you going to make a living? And to me, it was like, no, I can make a living from this. I don't have to just be a personal trainer. Who says that I can't then write books? Who says that I can't be on TV too? What makes me different from Michelle Bridges? We're two women with the same opportunities who have similar capabilities. I don't know her in person, so I can't say we've got the same. But I just thought, why? Why can't I? And why can't I, even if I can't see women of the same color as me who look like me doing it, why can't I be one of those people who do it anyway and then inspire those who are younger than me who look like me to also do the same? So armed with all my fitness knowledge from Wynn, two months before I finished my course 
I decided to start looking for gyms that I wanted to work in. So being a trainer at that time, there were several options. You could start off in a gym where you were a franchisee. You could be employed by a gym as a trainer. Or you could do outdoor personal training, such as in a boot camp setting. But for myself, I decided that I wanted to be a franchisee and have my own business within a gym and grow my business that way. I think I always was attracted to that independence. I'd been within employment for as long as I could remember, since my late teens, and I just saw that vision of what I thought fitness to a T could be, which was a business which not only had the one-on-one training, the group training, but which had so many other rooms within the house, within the tree. So I was planting a fitness tree. So one of the aspects that really stood out for me when I started off in the gym was that I was the only black female trainer within the gym The other trainers were mainly men, so in terms of male versus female, there were about 8 to 10 male trainers, and then there was one other female trainer when I joined. Within the two years that I was at Fit and Fast Gym, the female trainers would come and go, so sometimes it would be about two or three. At the highest, we were five. At, At one point, we were five. And people came and went, you know, depending on circumstances. So one of the things with being a black female trainer, you know, as I said before, it's not about me being non-inclusive, but it's, you know, if you're black, you will understand that there is an unwritten code where, you know, I was in an environment where I stood out because I was... African, I was dark, and I was in an environment which was mainly white Australian. So naturally, of course, I would stand out. And in standing out, I then looked different and I was somewhat separate because of my color. And it just meant that I had, I felt, and I think people of color, black people will understand this. I felt like I had to work just a little bit harder. I had to push just a little bit harder to prove that I knew what I was talking about. I knew what I was doing. So for example, when I started up my business to make sure that I was really on the ball with everything, I got a mentor, um, an amazing mentor. His name is Greg, and he really helped me to navigate the gym the gym field and to understand what it was like to be a personal trainer, to run a business, to have the right mindset and so forth. So I'm forever grateful to him. And then I also signed up with a company called Business PT Business in a Box. And what they do is they help personal trainers who are just starting out to have various templates that you need for your business so it might be things like terms and conditions that are suitable for gym clients understanding pricing and what works for you 
how to package your sessions and to have a pricing system that allows you to grow, how to set up direct debit and so forth. So those very practical things that no one had taught me from my personal training course and that no one else could have taught me unless I went and looked up that information. So that really made me stand out from the beginning because I was determined to just have a smooth running business, a business where, you know, people didn't have to question what I was doing. Of course, I made sure that all the legalities of having a business were were ticked off as well, registering my business name, making sure that I have a business bank account, all those tiny details that someone might look over. I just made sure that I was starting off on the right foot because I could see where I wanted Fitness to a T to go. So one of the absolute positives that I got from working in a gym environment was that it was so fast paced. Every day I was thinking on my feet. I had all sorts of different clients, you know, men, young, older. I had young females. I had older females with all sorts of different capabilities different restrictions it was it really made me understand anatomy understand exercise and how to customize my training for a particular person i think the gym environment allowed me to get a solid foundation practical foundation of exercise knowledge I was also always up upskilling so updating my courses adding more courses on I then went on to study nutrition as well so I was always just trying to stay one step ahead and in the back of my mind I knew that even as I presented myself to gym clients most of whom were white Australian I made sure that you know I was the part as in really confident really showing them that I understood, I cared, and I knew what I was talking about as a black female trainer. And the reason why I say this is because imagine just going into an environment or an industry where you're the only black person or maybe you're the only white person. Of course people are going to look at you and think, "Wow, where did this person come from? This is not what we're used to. Does this person know what they're doing? Who are they? They're so curious." So I just made sure that their questions, questions that they might not be able to ask me directly, were answered in advance. So in the next episode of this podcast, I'm going to be talking about how I then transitioned out of the gym environment and into online personal training. I'm also going to be talking about how I published my books and how I started venturing into other parts of the fitness tree that I had planted. 
So thank you for listening today. I hope that you've been inspired and I look forward to talking to you in the next episode. So I look forward to talking to you in the next episode. Take care of yourself till then. Stay safe and stay healthy wherever you are in the world. So remember as well, everyone, to follow me. Make sure you head to Instagram. The handle is at Teorai1, T-E-U-R-A-I and the digit one. On Facebook, it's fitness to a T. So www.facebook.com forward slash fitness to a T com A-U or one word. And then for my website, it's www.fitness to a T dot com dot au thank you